In December of 1903, after many, many attempts, the, the Wright brothers, the infamous Wright brothers, were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. Thrilled about what had just happened, they uh, telegraphed their sister, Catherine, and they said, we actually have flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. So Catherine hurried to the editor of a local newspaper and showed him the message, and he glanced at it, and he said, how nice. The boys are going to be home for Christmas. He missed it, didn't he? He missed the big news, one of the most important events, really, in human history, the first flight. I mean, this is the Wright Brothers, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Everything that we know about our culture today and our technology today comes back to that. And here, this man who was supposed to be a newspaper person missed the big news. And I wonder if we do the same thing. I wonder if you and I miss the big news of Christmas. See, the big news of Christmas isn't just that a baby was born in Bethlehem, although that's important. We just sang about that. That's important. But it wasn't the big news. The big news wasn't that God was going to give mankind a gift. Although that was news. But it wasn't the big news. The big news wasn't even that God was going to redeem mankind. Uh, people even in, in that day and age, if they read the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, they would understand that God had promised to solve this problem of sin in our world. That wasn't the big news, although that was huge news. The big news was the way that God was going to do it. It was the miracle of Christmas. It was the fact that God, the divine one, the holy one, the righteous one, the creator of heaven and earth, would actually choose willingly so to become human. That's the big news of Christmas, isn't it? That's the most amazing part of Christmas. It's the miracle of Christmas. The fact that God, listen, God chose to become human so that he could relate to you and to me. And so that in 2014, when we worship our God, when we talk to our God, when we communicate to him, he's not a distant, unloving, unknowing, unapproachable God. Yes, he is the divine one, the all-powerful one, and we should worship him in that context. But he is one who chose to become human so that you and I can identify with him. That's the big news of Christmas. And the prophet Isaiah, and then later on, Matthew records twice in Scripture that his name is called Emmanuel, 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 God with us. We're in this message series where we're considering what that means, God with us. And we began with talking about how God decided to become human. He, he, in, he was incarnate. He became one of us. And he had to do that to fulfill scripture. He had to do that to actually be the sacrificial one for the salvation of 
all mankind. I want to encourage you to be here on Christmas Eve where we'll talk specifically about that. But he also did it so that you and I can understand him because he understood us. He identified with us, and so therefore we can identify with him. And so my prayer over these few weeks is, is that for many of you heading into the Christmas season where the real meaning of Christmas maybe doesn't seem like big news, it seems maybe distant or it may seem kind of really unrelatable that the message of the Christmas season that God decided to become human would be incredibly meaningful to you and to me. Because by deciding to do that, God deciding to become flesh and blood, to live for 33 years here on this earth and choose to go through some of the same things that you and I go through to identify with us. He chose to be God with us in our rejection. We talked about that a few weeks ago. In our temptation, although without sin, we talked about that last week. And today what we want to focus on is this whole idea of God being with us in service. God is with us even in our service. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. I hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, whether you are local or whether you're from out of town, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad that you have chosen to uh, be with us this morning as we kind of round the corner on this message series as we focus on the fact that uh, God is with us. He, he chose to be with us and even in our service, he can understand us. Now, now, it's the week of Christmas. Christmas is on Thursday. I just scared some of you because you haven't done any shopping. It's Thursday, okay? You have, you know, basically like three days left to get your shopping done, okay? So men, husbands, dads, it's time to shop. So anyway, and it's coming up on Thursday, and I realize, <laughs> I saw somebody go, yeah, that's right, it is. Uh, I realize uh, one thing about Christmas, um, and, and it's this. Uh, over the course of the next few days, uh, most of you will serve someone else, won't you? Uh, dads, um, those of you who actually do travel, um, you'll pack the car, and you'll pack all the luggage in the car, and, and your wife, you know, your spouse will come out to the car, and she'll say that you've done it wrong. So you'll unpack the trunk, and you'll repack it, and then someone else will come out with one last piece of luggage, and you'll have to guess what? Unpack it and then repack it again, and then, <laughs> and then you'll be driving down the road and you'll be four hours into an eight-hour journey. And a 13-year-old girl in the back seat will say, Dad, I need something, and I packed it in my suitcase. So you'll pull over on I-95 somewhere between Florence, South Carolina, and Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> At a rest stop that you really are scared to even open your trunk in. And guess what you'll do, dads? You'll unpack it, and you'll repack it again, and you will serve your family in that capacity, won't you, dads? Moms, you're not immune to this at all. You get to go to Walmart this week, and you get to shop at Walmart and Sam's Club because they have the best prices for the 32 people that will be staying at your house for Christmas <laughs> this week. And then you'll realize that you forgot the cinnamon sticks that you can't get at those two places because they're sold out. So you try all 100 stores on Hilton Head Island, grocery stores that exist on this 48-mile, square-mile island. And you'll go to those stores and you'll find exactly what you need, including the um, you know, lactose-free milk that you know, Uncle you know, Jim needs for obvious reasons. And so you'll go and you'll serve your family and you will get done with Christmas dinner and you've already cooked Christmas breakfast and you'll be ready to wash the last dish and your teenage son walks in and he says, 
Mom, is there anything to eat? I'm hungry. And you will serve your family, won't you? And if you're a grandparent in here, you're not immune to this either. You'll serve in every way I just described, and more so, and you'll watch Grandpa sleep all during Christmas, won't you? And kids, you're not immune to this either. Students and, and kids in here, you're not immune to this because at some point in time over the next week, mom or, mom or dad or maybe both of them will say, hey, it's time to take down all the Christmas ornaments and, and it's time to pack everything up. And you'll be the one that's in charge of wrapping the ornaments. And you won't do it right, so you'll have to pack and repack and pack and repack. And this is the way that Christmas goes. I think one of the interesting things about the Christmas season and about the holiday season is that we kind of are put in a position where we actually are forced to serve those we love. And there are some of you in here that will serve and serve and serve. How many of you are prepared to serve? You can raise your hands husbands and wives and moms and dads and grandparents. How many of you are, to serve, are ready and prepared this Christmas season to serve those you love? You can raise your hand. How many of you are prepared to just sit back and be served all week? Okay, yeah, don't raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, everybody raise their hand on that one. That's awesome. Oh, this whole idea of serving others around us is something that um, we can sometimes get very frustrated with. Because oftentimes it's a thankless task, isn't it? We serve and we serve and we serve. And there's no accolades. There's often no appreciation. There's no thank you. There's not a kind word. And we serve and we serve and we serve. And sometimes we can get frustrated in our service because there's nothing that comes back to us. And I want you to hear this today. Just like Jesus can understand the rejection and the pain of rejection that you've experienced in your life, and just like Jesus can understand that deepest temptation that you have in your life because he was rejected and he went through temptation even though he didn't sin. He understands your service, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. He understands your ability to serve and not have any accolades come your way because he literally came for the sole purpose of serving the world around him and he did it and he understood even before he did it that it would be a completely thankless task but he came for the sole purpose to serve i want to for you to look at your notes this morning you received them when you came in today they'll be on the screens here behind me uh, they also are available online i want to encourage you to go download our app that's the best way to follow along that app has our notes and you can uh, follow along that way this time of year really highlights the fact that we do serve each other and we do it in sometimes a very thankless way, a very um, maybe uh, a void of appreciation way. But Jesus understands that. God understands that. The incarnate God, God with us, understands what it means to serve and get nothing in return. Take a look at your notes this morning. First of all, first of all, Jesus willingly accepted when becoming human that he would also become a servant. Jesus willingly accepted that when becoming human, that he would also become a servant. He knew that there was no separation between the two. And God did it anyway. You realize that? He did it anyway. He knew he would be rejected, and he did it anyway. 
He knew that he would be tempted, and he did it anyway. He knew that he would come to be a servant, not just to serve, by the way, there's a difference. Do you realize that? There's a difference. He knew that he would come to specifically be a servant, that there would be no difference in his mission from being human and being a servant, that the two would go together, and he did it anyway because he loved humanity that much. And so he willingly became a servant. I love what the Apostle Paul says, and I know we've used this passage, and I'm going to use it again. I want, us, I want this to sink in for those of you that have been on this journey. And in fact, in November, we did a, a kind of a chapter-by-chapter chapter study of the book of Philippians, where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and, and he says this in Philippians 2, 6, and 7. I'm actually going to start with 5, just real quick. Verse 5 won't be on the screen, but he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and now we pick up on the screens, who though he was in the form of God, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He said it doesn't matter in this context. He was all God, 100% God, 100% man, and as I've said before over this uh, particular series, that um, with, while that may be difficult for us to understand in our finite minds, um, there's a leap of faith that we have to take if we're going to believe that to be true, that he was all man and all God. And though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, verse 7, but he emptied himself, he poured himself out, taking the form of a... What is that? So you can say it with me. Servant being born in the likeness of men. You see, Jesus knew that when he would come to this earth, that he would come for the specific reason to be a servant. That he would come to serve mankind. That he would come to serve you, and he would come to serve me, and then he would come to serve the world. And he did it. Anyway, the prophet Isaiah predicted this. I love how Matthew describes this in Matthew 12, 17 through 21. He says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my what? Servant. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. He was speaking of the Messiah, the chosen one, Emmanuel, God with us, my servant whom I have chosen. It's not my king. It's not the, the Savior in this context, although he became the Savior. It, it's not um, the, the one who is given royalty or some kind of special acclaim. He calls him my servant. This is God choosing to send a servant to be the Savior of the world, not a king. Not royalty. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will have hope. See, God sent Jesus into this world specifically for the purpose to become a servant. He came to serve. He didn't come to receive anything. He didn't come to have a claim. He didn't even come to be thanked. He came to serve. And he did it knowing for sure, knowing absolutely that there would probably be nothing or no honor sent his way. He did it knowing that it would be a thankless task. Almost every time you see the word servant 
mentioned in Scripture. There are different words, different root words, different original words for servant. But if almost every time you see that word servant, you can, you can uh, uh, kind of conclude that it comes from a word that means bond servant. And a bond servant was literally marked, was literally marked that this person was the owner of someone else. He was the owner of the one whom he served. And Jesus here is compared to a bond servant, someone who was marked for the, the particular purpose of service. And so Jesus came knowing that he would be that kind of servant, that there would be no getting out of it. There would be no way to be released from the servitude that he was in. And he did it willingly. He did it anyway. You see, he knew from the beginning that he would be a servant. But not only that, secondly, in your notes, Jesus fully embraced that true influence happens when serving others. He embraced that true influence happens when serving others. He understood the fact that service and influence went hand in hand, that they would go together. That being a leader, being someone who is influential in the world or in someone's life meant that you had to serve that person. I, I, I love this concept because he, he really takes this whole idea of greatness and he tears it down to its bare minimum. And he rebuilds it on something that is counterintuitive, counterculture, even counterleadership than what we normally think in our day and age, right? I mean, leaders are supposed to be in charge. They're supposed to have people that serve them, right? Influencers are the ones that are high on the pedestal, the top of the org chart. Jesus tears down that thinking. He breaks that down completely with his disciples and with people he came in contact with. I love the disciples because they do what I often do. They want to be great, don't they? I mean, how many of you are with me this morning? Like, you look at your life and you go, I, I aspire to greatness, right? Like, I, I want to have influence. I want to have some kind of impact on the world around me. Jesus' disciples were no different than you and I in this, except maybe they were obsessed with it. They were obsessed with greatness. We see this at least twice in, in Scripture. I, I love this first one. This is from Luke, the, the author, the gospel writer, writes this in Luke 22, 24 through 27. He says this, a dispute also arose among them. They always, by the way, were arguing about who's great. I love that. Don't we do that? I have two kids. They often argue about who is best in the house especially this time of year. I think they want Santa to know that. So anyway, anyway, a dispute amo arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as what? The greatest. Who's the greatest? And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them, and those in authority are, are, are also called benefactors, but not so with you. And then he says this, rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who what? Serves. Wow. I mean, Jesus just took like most of the leadership books that are written for business and kind of turned it upside down, didn't he? They weren't written back then, mind you. But like, I mean, even then they would have understood that like they wanted to aspire to some kind of greatness in life. 
in this context, they were talking, I believe, about their influence. This was a good thing. This wasn't uh, driven from bad motives, but they were arguing over it. They wanted to know who would be the greatest, and he says, the one who serves. For who is the greater one, who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? That would be the natural, like, course of action to think, right? That would be our intuition is the one who is being served. But Jesus turns that whole idea of greatness on his head. And, and he, he communicates that true influence happens when you serve. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus says, I'm the first one. I'm the first one. And what was he doing in that moment? He was serving them. He was serving them. Look also at Matthew Chapter 20, I love this. See, not only do we get involved in greatness, but our parents get involved in trying to prove we're great. Don't, don't you, parents. I mean, my son is the best soccer player on Hilton Head Island. He is great. My daughter's the best ballerina on Hilton Head. Trust me, I'm her dad. She's great. We do this, parents, don't we? We absolutely do this. And some of our parents never stop, even when we're 42. Mom and Dad, I love y'all. Okay, verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20. This is great. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, Jesus, uh, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. It's pretty bold, isn't it? Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about ready to drink? He's about ready to go to the cross. That was what he was referring to. And they said to him, we are able. I mean, the sons jump in here. Uh, yeah, we, we got this, Jesus. We, we want to sit on your right and your left. We want to be first in your kingdom. And he challenges that. And they say, yeah, we're, we're able to do that. And then in verse 23, he says, he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and it to my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant about the two brothers. Jealousy, of course, reared its ugly head. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles once again lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Who would ever be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, he's talking about him again, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus understood that true influence, true greatness comes when we turn the world upside down. And turn what we think is right upside down. And we actually serve each other it may be very difficult to do it may be thankless you may get no appreciation but jesus says that's our job because it was his because it was his job thirdly jesus demonstrated the humility of servanthood through his life his ministry and miracles this is no better illustrated than when he washes the feet of his disciples. Look at this from John 13, verse 1. It says, John says this, he records, Now before the feast of the Passover, 
when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Remember when he rejected Jesus, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing, please don't miss that. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all of these things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking the towel tied around his waist, tied around his waist. And at this point in time, I would imagine that at that dinner, that last supper, the disciples who were probably talking, who there was a lot of chatter, probably a lot of noise coming from, all of a sudden, they fell silent because they're recognizing in this moment that by taking off the robe and taking that towel, that Jesus, their rabbi, their leader, is about ready to do something remarkable with them. They knew he was about ready to wash their feet. In verse 5, he poured a water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter saying, Jesus, this isn't your job. Why are you doing this? Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand. Now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And Jesus proceeds to go around the room and wash the feet of all of his disciples, even the one that was going to betray him, even the one who was going to deny him. You talk about, talk about a thankless task. You see, washing someone's feet in that culture was the most, it was the lowest, most demeaning job of all. It was the epitome of serving someone else. And Jesus, the leader of the group, chose to serve those who were following him. You see, sometimes really being a servant means doing that thing or those things that no one else will do. Sometimes being a servant means doing that thing that absolutely, positively, you know that no one else will do. Sometimes that's in the context of your family. Sometimes that's in the context of your church. Sometimes that's in the context of your community or in your nation or your world. And I know some of you understand this because some of you go to places like San Marcos, Belize, and you wash the feet of the people that live in San Marcos, figuratively speaking. You wash their feet by serving a group of people that if we don't go, no one else will. 
And some of you are involved in community outreach efforts here because you know that if you don't do it, no one else will. And you're selfless, and you know it's a thankless task. But I want you to hear this today. Jesus understands because his task was thankless as well. Point number four. Jesus truly understands the significance of servanthood, and he challenges us to follow his example of complete compassion. He understands the significance of servanthood, and he challenges you and I. He challenged his disciples. He challenged his followers to follow his example and therefore have compassion for those around him. What a different Christmas you will have if you enter it this week following Jesus' example of complete compassion. I promise you it'll be a different Christmas. If you decide that you're going to operate, even with that one relative, you know that relative, with complete compassion. Look what he does. I love this. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he, he asked them, what, are you dis- what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. I love this. This is what my kids do. What are you guys talking about? Followed by silence. I love that. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. We see a theme developing, don't we? And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So Jesus in this moment takes the opportunity to set himself up as the example because his life and his ministry and his miracles demonstrated it was an example, but he also in this moment explains that it is now your job. Take this and run with it. Take this concept that you've watched me do and build upon it because it's yours. If you want to be greatest in my kingdom, learn to be servant of all. And I love how Jesus uses the foot washing of his disciples to illustrate that they are supposed to do this in the Gospel of John, John 13, 12 through 16. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. That was his position, right? He was a rabbi. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. You see, implied under the big picture, the umbrella of God sending Jesus to this earth, him becoming human, is this whole idea of being a servant. I don't know if you've noticed, we haven't read anything. We haven't talked about anything where you can find in Scripture where there are accolades here on this earth. You can't find any place in Scripture where it says you will be honored by the ones you serve. You can't find anywhere that it says you will be thanked and appreciated and loved because of your service. In fact, Scripture tells us implicitly and explicitly that we store up treasures in heaven when we serve. You see, we do this not for those around us. When we serve, if you're a Christ follower in here today, you serve because you are serving him. And he understands what you're going through when people are ungrateful and when it's a thankless task because he served 
and it was completely thankless. It's the bottom line this morning. Though people may be ungrateful and we may not receive accolades, we are called to serve like Jesus served with relentless passion, determined resolve, and selfless sacrifice. You may be in here today and you walked into this room and you're like, they never say a word, my family, my friends, my church, my community, my neighbors. They never say a word. And I'm sorry that they don't. <laughs> I'm sorry that they don't. But way more important than me being sorry about that is the fact that your Savior went through what he went through, not just in his death, but in his life. And you see, Emmanuel, God with us, means that we can serve in the same spirit that he served. We just have to have a little twist, a little change, a little alteration, a little tweak in the way we think, don't we? We have to recognize that Jesus did this for us, and then in the spirit of that, we should do it for him with a grateful heart and no expectations of anything in return. So for some of you who walked in here today and maybe you're bitter, maybe you're mad, maybe you're frustrated that it's not thankless and God seems distant, he experienced the very thing that you're experiencing and probably will this week, by the way, many times. Identify with him in that. Receive comfort from that. But don't let that dissuade you from serving with relentless passion for others. God, thank you so much that you sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. God, that you being with us was the big news. You becoming human was the big news. That word with is so intimate. It's so personal. It's so meaningful. Thank you that you chose to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And God, today, I just want to pray for those who are in here, who are in this room, and they feel like all they do is serve everyone around them with no accolades, with no thank you, with no gratefulness in return. God, I pray that you would help them in their struggle God, I pray that you would guide them and that you would challenge them, encourage them, but even convict them to keep going on. And God, I pray for those who are in here today and maybe we've let our service towards others kind of go by the wayside. Maybe we're always the ones who are being served. God, I pray that we would be challenged to take it up a notch. God, even with our family, those people who are most important to us, God, with those people who, who we're going to be spending time with over these next few days, God, in our neighborhood, in our churches, God, in our small groups, in our Bible studies, God, I pray for those who are here today and they serve their community, God, and maybe those who used to and they've been discouraged, I pray that you would give them hope. God, they don't do it for them. God, I pray that we wouldn't do it for us. God, I pray that we would do it for you. And do it in the spirit 
of why you came to this earth anyway to serve, not to be served. Help us, Father, with the gap that we may have in this area and help us to be able to identify with you in this area. God, I pray for those who may be here today and they don't know you as their Savior. They've never chosen to put their trust in the fact that you came to die for their sins that you chose willingly to become human so that you could go to a cross and take the penalty for their sins God I pray that you would help them to be here on Christmas Eve to hear the full story but I pray right now that maybe there's something going on in their heart maybe something that was sung or said here over these last the last almost hour together, God, made sense. And I, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would draw them to yourself. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God with you for your salvation, I want to encourage you to do that right now. The Bible says that the, the results of our sin is eternal death. But the free gift of God, this one who he sent that we celebrate the Christmas season around, came to die, to take the place of that eternal death for you. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. Just in the quietness of this moment, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite you to pray it in your heart, if you mean it, to God. And it goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be here with us. And right now, today, I admit that I make a lot of mistakes. That I have a lot of things in my life that would keep me from you. And today, I put my trust in the fact that Jesus came to die for me. Help me, Father, to now live for you. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, I am not going to embarrass you, but I would love to see your hand so I can pray for you. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer right now in this room, I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Anyone in here? Anyone else pray that prayer today? If you prayed that prayer, it was your first time putting your trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to just make a note of that in the bottom of that card that's on your worship folder so that we can follow up with you. You can take that back to Kelly and Jackie and they'll give you a Bible. And we want to follow up with your decision. Father God, help us now this Christmas season, even this week as we head towards Christmas, to follow your example of what it means um, to be a servant. And God, we give you the glory and the honor for coming to this earth. And God, now we give you the praise and we, we give you the glory for what you did by that. And I pray, pray that you would help us to prepare ourselves for the fact that you came to this earth. In Jesus' name I pray.